Forgotten Liam versus Evil. What up, bitches? We are back. How long's it been? Too fucking long. Um, I'm quite pumped here. Do you think that I've just um, spent the last hour talking to a fucking awesome? Director. I'm trying to say intelligent. Yes, intelligent. What was the word? What was the word? I'm trying to say an awesome man. Entertaining uh, uh, director, writer, um, actor as well in the movie. Adam Marcus, Jason Goes to Hell, Secret Santa, and a plethora of, of other stuff. But before we get there, oh no, you would think that's why you're excited, but it's probably because we were just giving each other soapy hand jobs. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, this whole, this whole like three, four years, whatever we've been doing, as as much as that, doing Scott and Liam, four. This is the fourth. This is this is where it this is where it comes to. Soapy hand jobs in the man cave. Jobs. Over here, one of the coolest stories I think I've heard. Yeah. I think the last time we recorded all those weeks ago, uh, my cardboard bin still wasn't emptied. How is it now? No. Still, it's still full. Fuck you, South Lanarkshire Council. <laughs> it's now just a standoff. I, like, I'm going to continue putting cardboard on it so the lid doesn't shut <laughs> and you're going to continue telling me there's something in it that should, well, be, in it. should be in it. It's only cardboard food. and paper. No, no food. It's the wrong kind of cardboard probably. What's the right kind of cardboard? Paper. That's the thing. See, the thing is, it's I, weird. I'm not going to tell you I put my blue bin because yeah, I don't want to stop. <laughs> I don't want to Glasgow City Council to stop mine. <laughs> uh, that's fucking... Do you know what, honestly? If they don't empty it this week, we'll set fire to it. Out, not in my driveway yeah, just in, yeah. yeah just in the middle of the street yeah and make sure you make like a whole ritual burning thing where you cover yourself in like loop and just wear your boxers and you soapy hand jobs over the fire <laughs> yeah sweet uh, how are you getting on um, I'm not bad I put my wee dog into um, dog hospital today he was in there for the whole day and I was super sad it's right? so weird that I'm actually in the same room as you and you're making sad eye contact yeah, with me it and it's arousing I and you, sad I think the saddest part was they told they gave us a bill because we'd already checked with the insurance. The insurance only got to pay for it because they say that it's the dental work isn't. He's getting some teeth taken out, um, and they say that dental work's not covered under your policy. And we're already fucking pissed off with him because the virgin we, we used to be with just decided one day to stop doing animal insurance without not telling us. So we were already fucking pissed off with him. We managed to get there like to pick us up without like having a gap in the service because we already knew it'd be. Uh-huh. And then they said, "Oh, but you're not covered for teeth, so we were not paying it." Like fuck, so then we need to go and get it done. And then we sent went to the we, we played to the the bet. The bet cut the door in half and said you can pay in two instalments, and that's good. Like, that's good. That's fine. Looked at the bill. Well, it physically cut it in half. Nah, pay pay half, <laughs> half And then we looked at the bill when we came in. We said, right, okay, that's a fair enough price. That's good. He goes away in, gets his operation. We come back in, and then we go through it. And here's the bill. And there's like an extra hundred and fifty quid just been whacked on for some other fucking stuff that they said that they done when he was in there. And they get they, they didn't eat the best bit yet. They sent the student. That's not to tell us. I was like, get, get fucking Dr. <laughs> Bet in here. But I didn't say that because I'm too uh, anxious, so I just see my wee, my wee dog come in with his wee buster collar and just had to cuddle him and take him home. That must be a really famous vet, Dr. Vet. <laughs> Dr. Vet, eh? They knew straight away what they wanted to do. The insurance company, do they think it's a dog or a person? Because, they, like, on health insurance, they only won't cover teeth if it's cosmetic, and it's not like your dog's getting new teeth. Yeah. So that we'll put music and caps in. Has he? Yeah. <laughs> Bailey's got a whole new set yeah, of veneers. Yeah. <laughs> uh, anyway, welcome to Scott and Liam versus Evil, episode 114. I'm Liam. And I'm Scott. And we are back. Uh, life has been busy. Yeah. This is, it's like every single time we plan about three or four episodes in advance, we, we put a schedule in place to get them recorded so that they come up uh, for you guys 
and we are ready and we're on the ball, something happens and then yeah. we end up three or four weeks out without an episode. But do you know what? Like it's we'll plan a Christmas episode for three or four weeks and then by the time we actually sit down to do it because of life, it's like March and you are all whinging that why am we got a Christmas movie yeah. in March? Well, <laughs> that actually leads into uh, the, the, this episode today because today's in, uh, episode is a little different. It is a, an interview episode. We, like we said already, we to talk to director uh, Adam Marcus, who, if you remember back to our Fright Fest episode from 2018, had a movie there, Secret Santa, that was an absolute fucking joy to watch. So, um, so we'll just be straight into this interview then. Yeah, so uh, sit back and enjoy Adam Marcus. Rainy day girl! Hi, Mom. Mom? I thought this was your sister. <laughs> Where do you think you're going without giving your bro some sugar? Ladies and gentlemen, please take your seats. Dinner will be served presently. Why don't we play Secret Santa? And our first contestant is... Anybody else feel like it's hot in here? I have had just about enough of this. Enough of what? Get out of my house. It's not going anywhere. It's my house too. Hey! hey. Shut your mouth about my sister, you pig! <laughs> Welcome back. We're absolutely privileged and honoured to have with us the writer, director of Film Fest favourite Secret Santa, the writer of Texas Chainsaw 3D, and the writer director of my favourite 90s film, Jason Goes to Hell. We have Adam Marcus on the line. Hey guys. How's it going, Adam? How are you? It's going absolutely fantastic. Glad to be with you guys. Uh, excellent. Uh, so we'll just get straight straight into it. Scott. Yeah, I want to just jump in straight away and just talk about uh, Secret Santa first. Um, it is I'd love time it. Of year. Yeah, it is this time of year just now. We're coming up to Christmas. Um, this played at um, Fright Fest. Uh, and I was thinking today, I thought it was this year, but it wasn't. It was it was last year. It was 2018. Yeah, it was 18. Yeah, and uh, you guys, uh, yourself and some of the cast and crew were supposed to be in attendance, but the, the weather that year was was awful. It was the, the horrible snow that almost stopped leaving myself getting just in yeah. Glasgow and you were uh, stuck in London, I think it was. Um, yep. But, so, yeah, so we sat and watched it and it just quickly became... Uh, an absolute a, a staple in my house now at uh, Christmas time. It is a fantastic movie, and I am totally you know fangirling over here. Movie. Um, but so basically, I want to ask. So it was not only directed by yourself, but you also wrote the story um, with Deborah Sullivan, yep. who um, starred in the movie as well as the mum of the family. So 
Where did the inspiration for the story and like the inspiration for the family come from? <laughs> well, uh, it's 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 actually pretty simple, straight line to where the story came from. Um, primarily, the story came from my childhood and from my um, uh, my Christmases. What had happened was my my parents uh, before I was even a thought. Uh, when my parents got married, they got married on Christmas Eve, okay. and. Um, which is an interesting time for two Jews to get married. Uh, the reason they did that is because my mother loved how beautiful that season was. It was her favorite season. And she loved just sort of all the twinkly lights and how good people were to each other. And there was this just sort of joy in the air. So they got married on Christmas Eve. So as I grew up, Every Christmas Eve, we would have this huge party and we would have like the most beautiful Christmas tree on our street. Um, we put up more lights. I mean, it, we really treated it like this kind of amazing Christmas. So I got I got Christmas, a very Santa Claus Christmas. It was sort of Christmas minus Jesus. Um, <laughs> and 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 I also got Hanukkah. So like I, I, like, I mean, it was awesome. Like it was <laughs> present central at my house. Right. So had this incredible Christmas, and then I'm six, and my parents split up, but they decide to keep having the party. So now they're both at the party. All of their friends are at the party. We're at the party. There's a Christmas tree. There's all this sort of look of joy, but everybody freaking hates each other. <laughs> and so there's these warring factions in the house at Christmas. So everybody's smiling and hugging and it's great. And the minute they turn around like that bitch. And I, I remember this so vividly and I was like, what the hell? And I, I'm sick and going like, this seems wrong. Um, so that ugliness of like how people really feel about each other, even though they're putting on this, this happy holiday face stuck with me. And so I have this kind of love-hate relationship with Christmas. I, I, I love the season. I love how beautiful it is. I celebrate Christmas in my home. Um, Deborah is, is Christian, and so we have a mixed family, and we have this kind of amazing holiday. But there's always been this haunted feeling I have about the holidays, about my parents just freaking hating each other, um, and, and this sort of weird war of personality in the house. So... When Brian Sexton, Deborah, my producing partner in Skeleton Crew, it's the that's the three of us, the Skeleton Crew. Um, when he came to me about the project, he he literally came to me and said, "Look, we need a horror movie. We need it right now. Like we need a, we need a quick turnaround in a horror movie. What do you guys have in your you know in your library of scripts?" And I knew how limited we were budget wise, and that we weren't going to go out and look for funding. We basically had to work with what we had. So I was like, uh, we got nothing. I got nothing. So he came to me on Halloween of 2015, uh, on, the, on the day of Halloween. He had just been to AFM, uh, to the American Film Market here in Santa Monica. And uh, so I said, give me, give me a minute. So I made a couple calls. Uh, a good friend of ours had this incredible mansion out on Big Bear Lake up in, in, in California that's only about two hours drive from LA, but it's, it's this winter wonderland, you know, where it is, you know, a balmy 72 degrees. So she said, I could use the house. I said, great. I said, tell all your neighbors, do not 
put away their Christmas decorations after Christmas. And by the way, this is, again, I'm doing this on October 31st. I'm like, listen, just tell your neighbors. I need them to keep the decorations up through mid-January. They can just leave up their decorations. I'll give them money, whatever. That's fine. You know, like, no, 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 no. We make that happen. So it's like, great. I have a setting. I know I wanted to make a Christmas movie. And because the way Skeleton Crew is structured, I've been teaching acting for the last couple decades in Los Angeles. And so I've got this troupe of amazing actors that I work with every week that are just incredible. I've got about 60 people that I work with every week. And so I knew what kind of acting talent I had at my disposal. So I immediately went, okay, I'm going to call this group of actors, see if they're available. And if they can give me 11 days, I was like, I'm going to shoot this thing really in 11 nights, one day. Um, I can shoot the whole thing, get it done. So I checked their schedule. Great. They're good to go. So uh, once I knew who my cast was, I said, okay, Christmas, I got a family stuck in the snow. What do I do? And suddenly a flood of memories from my childhood came back and I was like, oh, wait a minute. Wouldn't it be awesome if everybody had to tell the truth about how they felt about each other at Christmas? And if they couldn't help themselves but tell the truth, and then they couldn't help themselves not just from saying what they wanted to say, but doing what they wanted to do. And next thing you know, Pope Pharmaceuticals was invented, and I was, I was off to the races. I called Brian the morning of November 1st. I told him the story. He was like, okay, that's fucking genius. Write it. And 20 days later delivered the first draft of the script. So the movie, all in all, Secret Santa started on October 31st, 2015. We ended shooting January 19th. So in two and a half months, we went from concept, script, pre-production, production in the can within two and a half months. That's that's fascinating. Yeah. That's how that happened. <laughs> yeah. It was insane. I've never done anything like it uh, ever. It's here's I'm telling you, I've, I've never I've never worked so fast in my life. And I have to tell you, it is truly to this day, the most single, most rewarding experience I've ever had making a movie. Yeah, there was, you, you know, no interference, no, no, nothing. It was just pure joy. Did you know, you know, you had like a, a hit or a, a future classic in your hands when you were making the movie or did, did you wait until you see the reaction before? You well, no, here's what's here's what's interesting. Um, there, there were two there were two things that happened while while making it, um, because, look, I I think that every writer and every director has to think while they're making something. This is going to be a hit. This is going to be a classic. Right. We all want to think that yeah. the, the thing is, I've been in the business long enough. And again, I made Jason goes to hell that I know that people can just, you know, the, the fans can just beat the shit out of you. You, yeah, you and you just have to take it. So your best intentions can go south. Here's what happened. The first thing that happened was I passed the script off to, I've got my best friend of the last 25 years, a guy named John Esposito. John wrote Stephen King's Graveyard Shift. He was a writer and producer on From Dust Dawn for Tarantino and Rodriguez. Um, he's won the Writers Guild Award two years in a row for The Walking Dead. He's, he's a brilliant writer. And John and I, um, we give each other all of our writing first. We're the first people to read each other's stuff. 
because we are very willing to say, dude, this is terrible. What were you thinking? Um, and we'll take it from each other because we respect each other's work. He read the script. He called me up truly like a day after I'd sent it over. And his response was, uh, I am so jealous right now. I said, why? He said, Adam, this is a truly original movie. He says, I've never seen this movie. And in horror, that's that's the that's the golden goose. Yeah, that's like if, you, if that. you've done something that yeah, if you've done something that no one no one can say, oh, it's just like that movie. Um, if they can't do that, then you have something special. The second thing that happened was while we were on set, truly while we're in the middle of shooting, Krampus came out. And before Krampus, the ho holiday horror, it wasn't happening. Like no one was making holiday horror. Nobody. You know, people would talk about Silent Night, Deadly Night and Black Christmas. Oh, 25 and 40 years ago. <laughs> so no one talked about it. And so Krampus came out and went to number one while we were on set. And I remember Brian coming in with Variety and like high-fiving everybody going like, yeah, this is the one. We did the right thing. You know, so <laughs> it, those two moments made me realize like, wow, we really have something. The other thing is, look, there's a, a moment, uh, Bob Kurtzman, who, um, again, one of my best friends of the last 25 years, he he did all the effects. Uh, he was He's the K of K&B effects. And he did all the effects uh, on Jason Goes to Hell. Um, and was, in fact, my second unit director on that film. And Bob and I, you know, I mean, we're side by side for our whole careers. So Bob uh, was he did all the effects on, on Secret Santa. He did it for nothing. He did it just because he loved the script and he and I wanted to work together. So he also shot second camera for me. And there was a moment um, you guys will remember when when the. Um, the four leads of the movie are crushed up against the doorway at the end of the film. And Penny is revealing the secret of secret Santa. Yeah. And they're, they've yeah, they're, they're kind of interrogating her at that point. So that whole scene plays out. Well, that scene is about, about four and a half minutes long. It's a long scene, all dialogue. And I remember Bob was on, on the other side of me. And Bob turned to both of us as the scene finished. He turned to me and he was like, dude, you don't see stuff like this in a horror movie. And I was like, yeah, I know. That's kind of why we're doing this. Yeah. So I knew from an acting standpoint and from a storytelling standpoint, we were doing something special. Um, it's why I believe so much in the movie. Uh, and look, my whole cast, I mean, soup to nuts, everybody in that cast, they are so good. Like yeah, the cast yeah, sells that movie. But again, I was writing to their voices. I knew who was going to play every character before I even started writing the script. So I knew how to write to that person's voice. Like, how do I make it sound? How do I make this easy for the actors? Like give them as much fun to have as they possibly can on set, but also put it so specifically in their mouths that when they read it, I mean, I'm telling you, like people read the script once or twice, they memorized the whole thing. Like they knew it because it was part of them. I was, I was writing for those actors. And that's kind of the genius of, of what we're trying to do with Skeleton Crew is that I've got this whole band of lunatics that are 
um, that are brilliant artists, brilliant actors who are willing to jump in and really commit themselves to these roles. Um, and that's, you know, that's, that's half the battle really is. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's uh, one of my other questions. Going to be, I think you've, you've pretty much covered it. We're just going to be talking about the cast, uh, because they had, they did all put in standout performances that, that yeah. it feels like a real family as well, which, you know, creates the, the illusion of watching the movie that you believe <laughs> what's happening on the, on the screen. Um, as they are all stand out, but on rewatch, um, just before like leading up to this episode, I, I stuck in again. Watch like I broke my rule because I never usually watch Christmas movies in November, but but I did for, for this episode, and I, I was not sorry for doing it because it on the you know multiple watches it, that film still stands up. And I just wanted to talk about the, the character of um, is it uh, Jackson played by uh, Jackson Henry. Nate Hedrick. Mm-hmm. Guy was outstanding. That opening scene, I just, I, this isn't even a question, I just want to talk about that. The opening scene in the car when he's coming singing along to the Christmas song and he, and he uh, chokes the girl who's up, out, out of frame. That's, I mean, that's yep. before that character's even taken into the punch and he's already, you know, wrapped up to 11. <laughs> it was, it's fantastic. It's just a, a, a great, great watch. Um, Thank you. Thank yeah, you, Red. So you've, uh, you said, um, so all the, all the, the cast were part of the, uh, the skeleton crew. Um, was you can just ask about yes. um, Drew Lynch because I was aware of him before watching Secret yeah. Santa from his. Um, mm-hmm. I think it was America's mm-hmm. Got Talent but, uh, audition yes. that went viral. Was he is he part of the skeleton crew before that, or did he come in? Out, oh no, out no, 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 Drew. Drew was with Drew. Uh, has been an acting student of mine. Who's an acting student of mine for almost a decade. Mm-hmm. I met Drew when he was seventeen. Yeah, he was seventeen. Um, he had moved from Las Vegas to LA. Uh, he, he wanted to be an actor, so he wisely did not go to college. He was like, uh, screw that. I know what I want to do with my life. I knew Drew before the accident that gave him the stutter. Oh, really? Wow. Yeah, Drew, Drew did not have a stutter for the first two years that I worked with him. Um, and I, I will tell you, here's what's crazy. Drew has an unbelievable singing voice. No joke. Uh, and he, he used to do these, these videos. You can find them online. He did these videos of these song parodies that he would do and his voice, like he had like this almost castralty, angelic voice, beautiful voice. Right. And this is a true story. He comes into class one Tuesday night and he, uh, this is even before I had formed skeleton crew and he, uh, he wasn't talking and he had brought his roommate in with him and his roommate said, Hey guys, I gotta, I gotta tell you, um, you know, Drew asked me to come along with him. And I'm thinking this is a bit because Drew is, you know, he wants to be a stand-up comic. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I'm thinking, like, is Drew pulling my leg? And he goes, listen, Drew had an accident this weekend. But I'm looking at Drew. He looks fine. Drew had an accident this weekend. Um, he damaged his vocal cords uh, through a concussion that he got during a softball game. And I'm literally like, okay, when's the punchline, guys? Yeah. <laughs> and then Drew started to talk. He's Like, he was like... It was prepping us. He started talking. Guys, the stutter was unbelievable. Yeah. And I, 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 it, I did everything in my power not to just, like, break down right there. Mm-hmm. So Drew tells me, you know, I'm going to stay with my dreams. I'm not changing anything. You know, but again, in this incredibly stammered way. Guys, I walked out of my class. We took a break. I walked out of my class, went out into the street in L.A., and I just started sobbing. Because I was like, this kid is at the beginning of his career, the beginning of his life, and he he has just lost his voice. Like it's like I'm thinking it's over. He's yeah. done. I don't know what, how to help this guy. And the incredible thing, you know, Drew tells a joke in his stand up 
which is, you know, I, I went to bed with a concussion. I woke up with a career. Yeah, yeah, because because it did it. It suddenly gave him this whole gimmick, this whole thing, which is a gimmick only because it's foisted upon him. So no, Drew Drew was with me for for almost a decade before we made Secret Santa. Uh, So no, Drew was. I wrote the I wrote the part for Drew. Um, And by the way, the same with Michael Rady, uh, the guy who plays um, Ty Webb, who plays the the lead's boyfriend. Yeah. uh, Michael is kind of a name. Michael's been top of show of five TV series, all network shows. Um, he plays Custis in Sisterhood of the Traveling Pants one and two. Um, I mean, he's like a thing. And you Michael, actually, yeah, I think I thought I did recognize his face. To be fair, yeah, yeah, he's he's he was my next door neighbor for years. Oh, really? And he, yeah, and he joined my class. He was he's a great actor, but he was like, you know what? I want to be in a class. Like I need to work out because that's the way I see acting class. Acting class. When, when you're at the level of my students, you're not there to learn how to act. You're there to Keep work up. out. Yeah, you're there yeah. to work the muscles. And so Michael was like, I need a playground. Like, I want to do this. And he jumped into class, was amazing. And then I said, hey, dude, want to do this movie with us? I said, there's no money, but you want to do it? And he was like, yeah. He said, you're doing another horror movie? I said, yeah. He says, absolutely. I'm in. I said, well, do you want to read the script? He's like, I don't need to read the script. <laughs> it's you. You're doing the movie. I'm in. So it was that fast. It really was. It was kind of extraordinary. And that's what you want as well, don't you? You want not only yourself to believe in the movie, but you want your cast to believe yes. in it as well. Yeah. Yes. Um, you mentioned a bit before about uh, the the effects, the the, the guy that mm-hmm. the effects. So yeah. The a lot of the effects were practical on Secret Santa as well. Am I right? Yeah. Oh, oh almost everything. Yeah, um, yeah. There was we, just like a little CGI blood that I. That I Right. But so was that a conscious decision going in to make them all practical? Oh, ab- absolutely. And quite frankly, I didn't want to use digital at all. Yeah. yeah. Um, uh, the the prop, the only reason we needed digital was because, because I had such a short shooting schedule. Um, the thing about blood effects specifically, you know, everybody thinks, so oh, you just squeeze some blood and it, oh, it just, no, it, it's sort of like, okay, you know, when it rains in a movie, like you watch rain in a movie. Yeah. Um, it's never actual rain. It's a water machine. It's water towers. The reason it's water towers is that when you make it rain in a movie, it has to rain buckets. Otherwise, the fi- the, the, the camera will not see the rain. It just won't see it because um, you light it. But again, the, 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 the shutter is moving at a speed where you're only going to see half of the drops. So it looks like a drizzle when it's just rain. It, it, and it could be raining hard, and it still looks like a drizzle. When you put a water tower in, suddenly you see the rain. The same is true of blood. Blood shoots by so quickly that you don't really register it. It takes it takes a lot to a lot more blood to make something show up on screen. So we're squeezing off blood like crazy. The problem is is that I can only shoot it so many times because I just don't have the time. I have to move on to get the story. So you then jump in and go, okay, we're going to have to use a little bit of digital blood here just to enhance what's there. Um, and again, on our budget, you know, I'm not going, I'm not going to, uh, you know, to George Lucas to, to do my blood effects. Um, so, you know, we did, we did what we could do with that. But for the most part, look, I'm, I am a practical effects guy. I hate digital effects. I love practical. Um, I know that the world is going to, I got it. Okay, great. Um, but I will say I'm finding over the last few years, there's been a wonderful return 
to practical effects. Yeah. And, and I think the man, fans I'm like all about well. that. Oh, I think the fans are all look here. Here's the thing. I, I always use these two movies as the perfect example of digital versus practical. Um, 1977 Star Wars or <laughs> or the Phantom Menace. Now, forget <laughs> about the storytelling. Forget about the storytelling and forget about Jar Jar Binks. Like, I'm not going to even bring that into the mix. But if you just look at Star, you look at Star Wars today and you go, that movie looks like it could have been made last year. Nothing about it dates it. It's not a dated movie, okay? Yeah. You look at, at, at The Phantom Menace, and from a visual standpoint, you go, ew, who, who designed this awful-looking video game? Yeah. Because uh, it looks like this early 90s, like it looks uh, late 90s cheap video game. And that's the thing. Practical never ages. You watch The Thing today, and you're Damn, this looks good. I mean, it looks so freaking good. And you look at a lot of the stuff made, especially in the aughts, um, and it's all like, God, this looks so cheesy. It just ages really badly. So for me, practical is always the way to go. Always. Yeah, no, I, think, I think both of us would agree with that for sure. Yeah. And actually, yeah. it would take us on to yeah. Jason Goes to Hell, another film with ah. absolutely incredible practical effects. Thanks, so, brother. <laughs> so you, you were 23 when you directed Jason Goes to Hell. And you, were yep. you? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and you touched on it a little bit earlier. You, you said you received a lot of kind of online hate and like trolling, basically. Oh yeah. How how good does it feel now to know that Jason Goes to Hell is becoming this cult hit that it should have been in yeah. the 90s but people are now accepting and realizing? Uh it is freaking awesome. Um and and I have to here's what's okay, here's the interesting thing about Jason Goes to Hell. When we first came out, the internet was in its infancy. So nobody was online. There was no Facebook. There was no there, there wasn't the online bullying yet. It just didn't happen. Yeah. Um, did I get you know fan letters? Tons. Did I get letters of people who hated the movie? Absolutely. So I got both sides of it. But the truth is that back then you actually had to sit down and write a letter and put it in an envelope and send it to somebody. So it took a lot of steps. And here's the thing. People who troll online are really pretty lazy, so they're not going to sit down and write a letter. They're definitely not going to put it in an envelope. They're definitely not going to pay to send it, and they're not going to send it. So you don't get it. They might feel it, but you don't get it. When the internet happened and really exploded, uh, there was one video in particular on YouTube, uh, this jackass who did this video about how New Line killed the Friday 13th franchise. That was it. That was the bullet. Um, and suddenly here's the thing. <laughs> there are two types of Jason fans. Now there are fans who grew up worshiping the movies in the eighties as they happened. By the way, I was one of those guys. I'm, I am one of those fans, right? I love those movies. I was, you know, I was a child when the first Friday 13th was made and I was in the Cunningham home the whole time that was being made. And I love that movie, even though, you know, Jason's in it for 12 seconds. Um, and then as the movies progressed, I fell more and more in love with the franchise. And I, I, I love it just like the guys who grew up beside me. Here's the thing. Those guys, they love the hockey mask. They forget that in part one, 
and two, no hockey mask. They also forget, and then part five, it's not even Jason. It's some other dude. So they 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 accept certain changes in their mythology. But what I did was by blowing up Jason in the first eight minutes of the movie, I basically said, to hell with your mythology. There is no fucking mythology in this. And there needs to be one. Because here's my problem, guys. I, I, look at, I look at all of horror movies with a logical eye. Because for me, if, you're, if your movie isn't grounded in the logic of the universe the movie is made in, I don't buy it. I'm out. I'm, I'm not going to be interested. And here's the problem. From part one to part two, there's only a few weeks in between those two movies. Somehow, a little boy from the bottom of the lake who 30 years after his death is still a mutant little boy at the bottom of a lake. Suddenly he grows a foot and a half, finds clothes that fit him, gets a, gets a driver's license, figures out, I guess through the yellow pages where Alice Hardy lives, finds her, by the way, he brings along his mom's head for good measure, finds her, hides the finds a way to break into her house without her knowing that he's broken into her house and you know jason subtle like that he's like a cat burglar <laughs> um hides the head in the fridge murders alice then he takes alice's body and mom's head and brings it back to camp crystal lake to a cabin that he set up with a shrine <laughs> so that's the logic between part one and part two by the way you also have to remember on cunningham was patently against making movies about Jason Voorhees. Sean Cunningham wanted to make, like like John Carpenter did, because look, there was never an idea that John Carpenter had that Sean Cunningham couldn't steal. So Sean Cunningham was like, I want to make movies about Friday the 13th, about bad things that happen on this day. He did not want to make movies about Jason Voorhees. It's why... Sean did not direct part two, part three, or have anything to do with any of the other films up until my movie. So Sean thought the sack over, the, over Jason's head was idiotic, and he thought the, the hockey mask was the dumbest idea anyone ever came up with. Quote, unquote, Sean Cunningham. Thought it was imbecilic. So now you go from part two to part three, and you got a guy who finds a hockey mask in a barn. <laughs> I mean, what is that? Like, what is that? And by the way, it's like the cleanest hockey mask ever put. And like, no one's ever played hockey with that. So what, did someone just buy it from the local uh, 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 sportswear shop and put it in this barn? It, it's, it's ridiculous. So now you, got a, now you got a hockey mask. And why the, you know, and part three is, you know, questionable to begin with. Part four is fantastic. Terrific film, really great. And they, not only they kill Jason, but then Corey Feldman, as Tommy, just goes to town on this dude's head. I mean, he tear like, I'm sorry, that guy's hamburger meat by the end of that scene. <laughs> I, there, there, there's no head left on that guy, okay? Part five, because Paramount was like, wow, part four was really good and it made a shit ton of money. We better figure out how to bring Jason back. Oh, I know, an ambulance driver who happens to have a photograph of Jason in his wallet. What? <laughs> and by the way, he's got some degree from some makeup academy because he's able to make this perfect Jason Voorhees cowl. It's so well done. 
I mean, what are we what are we talking about now? So now you got part five, you got Roy Burns, which, by the way, I think part five is a really cool movie. It's like the it's because of its director and because the director came from porn. Um, there is a sleaziness to that movie. That's awesome. Like it's got dirt under its finger fingernails. I, yeah. I think that's a really cool. Right. It's like a grungy, cool movie. Then you go to part six and Jason is suddenly. A zombie. And it's like a Frankensteinian zombie because Tommy resurrects him with a stake through the heart that gets hit by electricity. And then Horshack gets killed. And I'm like, okay, I guess we're going to run with this idea. By the way, um, Jason has a full head. uh, His head is still there. And I'm thinking, wait a second. I just watched Tommy in part four tear this guy to hamburger meat. How does he still have a head? Where did the head come from? Again, by the way, none of the fans balk at any of this. None of the fans <laughs> say, that that's a problem. What are you doing? So we go from part six to part seven. Now, now they're so out of ideas. They're like, okay, Jason's going to fight Carrie. Okay. Psychic girl versus Jason. Got it. That And that does not go so well because the numbers start coming down a little bit. By the way, part six is my favorite of all the Friday 13th movies. That's my absolute favorite. Um we go to part seven. Now he's with Carrie. Now they are truly out of ideas. They're like, okay, let's put the baddest guy in movies up against the baddest city in the world, New York. <laughs> but we don't want to really spend any real money on this movie because the last one didn't make as much as we thought it would. So we're going to have him take a boat ride for an hour of the film and we'll spend the last 20 minutes in quote unquote Manhattan or Montreal. <laughs> and then he dissolves into baby Jason in the toxic sludge of the New York City subway s- or sewer system. Um, there's toxic waste in the, t- I mean, New York can be gross and dirty, but there's no toxic waste. That's You got to go to Jersey. You got to go back to Crystal Lake for that. So then they hand me this, That this is what I get handed, part nine. I'm told you can't have Tommy Jarvis because originally Stephen Stephen Freeman was going to be Tommy Jarvis. That was the that was the story. Uh, you can't have Tommy because we didn't buy him. You can have Jason, but you can't have Friday the Thirteenth. Can't you can't use the title Friday the Thirteenth. Um, and Sean Cunningham first first thing he says to me is, "You get that fucking hockey mask out of the movie. I'll let you write and direct it." <laughs> so that's what I'm handed, right? Of course, nobody knows that. Also, let's now remember, I'm 21 when he hires me because I had just set up a movie for him at Disney called My Boyfriend's Back, yeah. originally called Johnny Zombie. So I was an associate producer on that movie. I'm 21 years old. Sean gives me this movie and says, no, no fucking hockey mask. So from 21 to 22, I'm writing this script. And guys, I, I'm telling you, like, first off, the original version of the movie was far darker than what you saw. Like, I made a re- I, I wrote a dark movie, like pitch dark. Um, but I was like, OK, um, Jason's got to get blown up or killed in some way. And his evil has to slip out. There's no I can't go. And again, I, I have to ignore part eight happened. So I'm told part seven, you can look at part seven, go from part seven. Okay, because everybody was embarrassed by party. Well, now I'm now, I, guys. I mean, imagine the number of handcuffs I have on me. 
Yeah. I'm like fucking Houdini trying to get out of this box. So that's what I start with. Here's the problem. I say, okay, I am dealing with a magical being. Like, let's stop treating this like it's just some, you know, Mexican wrestler in a hockey mask. Th this is this is a this is a monster. So I went, all right, well then hang on. If I, I love shared universes. Um, and by the way, before there was a Marvel universe, before there were any of these other universes, I love the idea. When I was a kid and Batman made an appearance on Scooby-Doo, that was the coolest thing I'd ever seen in my life. Like, I was like, this is, this is amazing. The Batman knows Shaggy. Holy <laughs> shit. Okay. <laughs> And then, and then they brought the Harlem Globetrotters on Scooby-Doo. I was like, okay, come on. The, what? This is the best thing. Oh, my God. You know. So, so for me, I was like, wait a second. If, uh, if I can cross the streams a little bit, maybe I can come up with a, with a mythology that will actually include stuff that everybody already knows. So I said, why don't I have Pamela Voorhees in the Voorhees house have these items that she used to try to resurrect Jason. And it went bad, went really fucking badly. And the thing she uses is the Necronomicon. And that's why it's in the house. That's why it's a Kandarian dagger that, that can kill him. Um, I, I was like, I kept, now, by the way, I couldn't have the rights to Evil Dead because New Line didn't own Evil Dead, but... Bob Kurtzman was doing Army of Darkness when I was writing the script. So I went to Bob and said, hey, I, I actually went to the set of Army of Darkness. I was there for a couple of days. They let me actually puppeteer some deadites in the movie. And so that's, that's fucking I, awesome. Oh, it was awesome. It was I'm 22 years old puppeteering a deadite. It was fucking badass. Um, but but I, I, I had started to have this relationship with Sam Raimi. And so I was like, look. Can I have the Necronomicon? Dude, he handed it to me in a in a Ziploc bag. <laughs> I was like, Shatter, here you go. Like, he was so excited by the idea that I was going to put it in the movie. So, for me, I, I was like, no, Jason Voorhees is a deadite. He's just, it's just a really fucked up version of that. So, that was my plan from the beginning. I couldn't announce it. I couldn't talk about it. But it's right there in the movie. It's all over the movie. <laughs> And that suddenly it makes everything make sense. The whole series makes sense now because this 30 year kid living under, under a lake, you go, yeah, dead. I got it. Um, it, it, it immediately gives you an answer. So hanging all of my, you know, my story ideas off of this one line of this thing is not a guy in a hockey mask. That's just his favorite kind of suit of armor. He can go anywhere he wants to go. And suddenly we've got this thing that is this kind of crazy roller coaster. And by the way, the thing is one of my, one of my favorite movies always has been since, since it came out. Um, and I was like 13 when it came out. Um, and the thing about the thing is that you don't know where the monster is. That's the genius of that movie. Where is it hiding? And so I love that idea so much. I was like, I want that to be in my I want that to be part of part of the Jason mythology and give this give this character something that's more suspenseful cuz here's the problem guys think about it like most of the Friday 13th films aren't scary 
they're fun, they're awesome, they're not scary. And I was like, I want a movie where I don't know where Jason's coming from. And so that was kind of where I was trying to go with the movie. That being said, there are a lot of people who have, seriously, there, there are three people who have wished me ass cancer, who have wished that I get <laughs> ass cancer because I made Jason Goes to Hell. And by the way, that's like a really specific kind of cancer to wish on somebody. I'm like, wow, that is, re and three different people. I'm like, I'm like, do you guys know each other? Like, what is that? Um, there are people who told, told me I raped their childhood. I'm like, okay, all right, all right. Good. Go back. Go back to mom's basement and keep writing. You, you, you just keep trolling. Um, so there's a lot of that, you know. But here's the thing: the second kind of Jason fan, they didn't go to the theater and watch these movies in order. They watched them on television. Or there are a lot of people who Jason goes to hell was their first Friday movie in a theater because it had been many years since the last one, and suddenly so it was a whole new group of fans. The people who discovered the movie that way or the people who just discovered on TV now, there are people who go back and watch the first movie and go, wait a minute, why isn't that slug thing coming out of anybody? And that's awesome because suddenly people see it as a movie, not as the ninth movie of a franchise. And all of a sudden, there was a whole new group of people who were like, this movie's badass. And oh my God, Freddy is in the movie. The Evil Dead is in the movie. Like there's all these different references and all of this world building and universe building. And remember guys, I mean, the job I was offered, the script I was offered right after Jason Goes to Hell was Scary Movie, which ended up becoming Scream. And they, they offered that to me because that's the kind of movie I made. Jason Goes to Hell is self-referential, self-deprecating. I mean, the fact that John LeMay tells the campers, you know, thinking about going up to Crystal Lake, having a little, doing, uh, doing uh, smoking a little weed and having a little premarital sex and getting slaughtered. I mean, that's in the movie. Like, Crystal Lake is a real place and these murders are real. Again, I open the movie with the FBI Finally investigating a hundred plus murders in a mile <laughs> radius. There's been a hundred murders. The feds have never shown up in any of the films up until my movie. Do you know what? No, it was, makes so much sense, but nobody's questioned it until you, yes. you put it. Because <laughs> that and by actually, the way, I also think that's yeah, good. No, oh, I was gonna say that explains so much. I out of all the franchises, Friday the 13th is probably my least favourite, but I mm -hmm. love part one, and I'm not just saying this because you're, you're on, Jason Goes to Hell genuinely is my favourite Friday the 13th film. Thank I have no time you. I have no time for the rest of them, and hearing, <laughs> he, hearing your reasons behind it is exactly why I obviously love that, yep. and I have got no yep. time for Hockey Mask Jason. Yep, yep. Oh. And again, look... I, I get I get the sort of King Kong versus Godzilla of it all. I get why people love this simple killer in a hockey mask murdering people. I also get that it's sort of it, that Jason became the hero of these movies, which I think is disastrous for any of our any of our horror franchises. The minute the the villain is the hero, the, the it's not a horror movie anymore. Now it's a comedy or it's something else, but it's not a horror movie. I, I think. You know, you look at the beginning of any of these franchises, you look at, at Nightmare on Elm Street. In a Nightmare on Elm Street, Freddy is fucking terrifying. 
No one's cheering for Freddie. You're cheering for Nancy. And, and, and by the way, I think the reason why part six works so well is that I think people are cheering for Tommy. I think it's the first one of those movies where there's someone as interesting as Jason Voorhees. But I also understand that Jason Voorhees represents every kid who ever got bullied and dreamt of becoming bigger and stronger than all of their bullies and just going to town and murdering the bullies. I get it. Like, that's definitely who Jason is. But there has to be some nuance. There has to be some storytelling. And again, I tell anybody who doesn't like the movie because there's not enough hockey mask, which by the way, Jason in a hockey mask in, a, in my movie, he has more screen time than almost any of the other films in a hockey mask. That's true. Because the opening and the ending are so, are so long, especially that ending fight, that Jason rarely is in a movie that long. It's, it's a lot of time with Jason in the hockey mask. But that being said, I tell people, I'm like, look, you have six other films with a guy in a hockey mask. Not, and not to mention then Jason X with a guy in a hockey mask and then a guy in a tinfoil hockey mask. <laughs> um, and then you got the remake, which, you know, <laughs> well, if you want that, enjoy. Um, but here's the thing. That's eight movies of hockey mask. You got a lot of hockey mask out there. If, if you want something that actually treats you like you're not a quote-unquote stupid kid, which is what the studios call the audience of the Friday the 13th franchise. That's the nicest word they use for it. <laughs> but I'm telling you, I've sat in meetings where they denigrate the audience of these movies, where they call them fucking morons, where they, where they say all kinds of shit about them. I did not treat my fans that way. I went, I'm going to treat this audience like the horror aficionados they are, and I'm going to give them a better movie. I'm going to, not even a better movie. I'm going to give them something different that has some logic. That's all. And again, I tell people, watch the other films. Like, if that's your bag, do it, man. I watch the other films. I still like the other films. I really do. But for the love of God, like, stop. <laughs> like, there's, there's no point, man. It's like, there's a whole plate of different stuff. You really want – look, uh, by the way, I also think – I think the fact that that Jason Goes to Hell is finding this new fandom and, and becoming this kind of cult hit, um, I think it goes along with things like Halloween 3 getting rediscovered and people going, you know, um, no, there's no Michael Myers, but it's kind of a cool movie and it's kind of a great idea and it's kind of fucked up and ugly and weird. And by the way, it's exactly what John Carpenter wanted to do with Halloween. He wanted to tell tales of Halloween. That's what he wanted to do. So there, there's a lot of, look, there's, let's just hope I was ahead of my time. That's all. I, that, I, I chalk it up to that. Like I, I had a thought that nobody was ready for at the time. Um, but let's also remember the movie came in number two at the box office. Um, by the way, forgive my dog. He's he's barking at. I think there's a UPS person bringing a package, so he has to bark. It's just in his DNA. Um, but uh, but no, you know, I, I think that at the time the movie was a hit when it came out. Then it was the single biggest video that New Line had ever put out. That's true. Yeah. Um, because they put it out in a director's cut and the R rated at the same time. So everybody who would buy one copy of the movie suddenly had to buy two copies of the movie. It was a giant success on video. 
Um, so the movie has always done really good money. Everybody's very happy with the money associated with it. Um, uh, trust me on that. Uh, <laughs> but you know, it's 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 really um, it's it's complicated. The, fr- the the fandom is complicated on this movie. I will also say, it's also why people keep talking about it. Yeah, like you don't hear people talk about part seven a lot or part three. They just don't do it. They don't talk about it. But they all talk about about Jason goes to hell because yeah. it's always going to start a fight, which is great. Like I'm <laughs> cool with that. That's awesome. This has got me so excited for Hearts of Darkness, your your, <laughs> your, your upcoming project. It, just yeah. hearing you talk about the making of Friday, like I, I'm now so aroused and ready for the documentary. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. Well, I got to tell you, we're, you know, we're uh, right now, as it stands, we're five days away from the end of the campaign. Um, we are at 84% funded right now, which is so freaking exciting. Um, and I think we're going to hit 100 by the end of the week, which is amazing. Um, the campaign ends on Saturday, actually. That's the, the final morning of the campaign. Um, but, oh, it, I got to tell you, the fact that I was able to get like so many of the, the the alumni to come back and not just to come back, but to like jump at the chance to come back. Um, people are genuinely excited to talk about the movie. And the other part of it is, you know, when this idea got brought to me, because look, I had no interest in spelunking back down into Jason Goes to Hell. I'm like, yeah, yeah, I've been there, done that. I'm doing other things. What happened was when they brought it to me, I was like, look, there were two guys who brought it to me and they were like, you know, we want to make this movie about Friday 13th. And they had already gone out and talked to people and gotten people to sign letters of interest to be in the movie. So it's like, okay, well you did some work. That's cool. Great. I said, but what's the movie guys? Well, it's a, it's a making of the, the final Friday. I said, yeah, no, I got that. What, what's the movie? I'm like, cause here's the thing. You don't want to make some fluff piece that they put on the back end of a DVD that everybody just sits around saying, God, director is a genius. And this is the most fun I ever had. And, and the cast is fantastic. And I'm like, that. who the hell needs that? We don't need that damn movie. I said, you got that on every movie, but it's usually about 10 to 12 minutes long. And you suffer through it and go, great, I learned nothing. I, if we're going to make a movie about this, it has to be warts and all. It has to be the ugliness of this too. Um, and so... We jumped in with the idea of, I said, look, I said, I said, if I'm going to do this, I said, Skeleton Crew is going to produce. It's the only way that I'll work on it. And I'm going to bring in some, some heavy hitters. And uh, so we got Kane. We got, <laughs> we got Stephen Williams, which I'm over the moon about. Um, we got Bob Curtin, of course, and Howard Berger. Uh, my brother Kip is going to be doing it, even though Kip now is a top executive at Amazon, he actually runs marketing for Amazon Europe, uh, and he lives in Luxembourg and he's going to do the movie. Um, we got like all of these extra, you know, Rusty Schwimmer came back, uh, who is one of my favorite people on planet earth, John LeMay. It's, it's nuts, right? So here we are with this incredible, oh, by the way, we even got baby Stephanie. <laughs> we got Brooke Shear. Now, here's what's crazy. Brooke Shear, her grandfather, is the writer and director of I Spit on Your Grave. That's, that's crazy. Is that crazy? <laughs> so I love when people are like, what is the baby going to talk about? I said a lot. She's lived her whole <laughs> life in this fandom. She totally gets this whole thing. So, um, so I've got all these people involved, right? All this incredible talent. 
And then I got this guy, Edwin Samuelson, who is a documentarian out of New York, who I'm working with on several other projects, who's an amazing guy, just incredible do- director. And most of his date job is shooting those 12 little, those 12 minute documentaries that go on the back end of DVDs. He does a lot of the Screen Factory stuff. So, you know, I'm like, Edwin, do you want to do like a really in-depth movie? And he was like, fuck yes. Like, sign me up right now. And then I got Peter Brackey to get on board. And Peter Brackey is the guy who wrote the book, Crystal Lake Memories, which is, I always say Peter Brackey is sort of the, the library of Alexandria of the Friday 13th franchise. Yeah. Um, if he burns to the ground, we will lose all knowledge of it. <laughs> um, and so Peter, Peter is coming on. He's, he's the historian for the film, and he's doing all of the interviews. And so I said to the team, I said, look, here's the movie. Here's the story. The story is this, who the fuck would give the keys to the biggest horror (laughs) franchise in film history to a 23 year old idiot who would do that and why? And then what the fuck happened? That's the story. I'm like, and by the way, the good and the bad, because there is, there's a lot of good and then there's some terrible And look, I mean, guys, I mean, I have been harassed by Sean Cunningham for the last 20 years, like hardcore harassed. Um, And because he does not want to admit that he said, take the fucking hockey mask out of me. He's literally, (laughs) he he can't because he now he goes to conventions and wants people to pay him money to sign his autograph. He doesn't want any of them to dislike him. So if he's the one who said, I hate the hockey mask, get it out of the movie, he's the bad guy all of a sudden. So he keeps throwing me under the bus. And I'm like, yeah, I'm like, Sean, you're right. Okay, so one of two things happened here. Either um, a 21-year-old kid told a 51-year-old Sean Cunningham what he was going to do, or (laughs) 53-year-old, 53-year-old Sean Cunningham, what he was going to do with his fucking franchise. You're getting that hockey mask out. And Sean Cunningham said, oh, yes, Adam, absolutely, you know best. <laughs> or or Sean Cunningham told me to get the mask out of the movie, and I, being 21-year-old film school graduate, obliged. <laughs> now, either I am a good soldier, or I am the most powerful 21-year-old to ever take breath. <laughs> so in either case, I come out great. For Sean, either he's a eunuch that let a 21-year-old overpower him, or he is a fucking liar. (laughs) He can have either one. I'll take either one. I will take either one of those scenarios. So he can be a eunuch or a liar, and I can be the most powerful guy in the world, or a guy who was was following the orders of my producer. I'll take it. Uh, His choice. Well, I am very much looking forward to seeing uh, the documentary that's finished. I picked up. Um, the Blu-ray version of it from your campaign the other day. Awesome, um, so, awesome. Um, and hopefully if we can get this episode out fast enough, then any listeners, the campaign should still be running for a, a few a, days. A, yeah. A day oh, so. yeah. So yeah. Uh, anybody listening, jump on, grab yourself the DVD, the Blu-ray right now while you can. Oh, also, that, that was Scott throwing me under the bus because now I have to edit this tonight. <laughs> 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 so, so thanks, Scott. Uh, <laughs> That's awesome. Adam, it's been absolutely brilliant having you on. Uh, We appreciate all the love we've had from you and the Skeleton Crew guys. Uh, And thank you so much for giving us some time out of your day to come on and 
tell me why I love Jason Goes to Hell because I know. I've listened to your stories Yeah, it's so obvious now why that is my favourite. <laughs> uh, is is there anything else? In fact, Adam, just quickly, I read yeah. online that you're currently co-writing and directing a, a reimagining of A Walk with a Zombie. Is that true? Yes, that is true. That is oh. true. Um, I I co-wrote with my with my lovely wife and writing partner Deborah. Um, we wrote a version of I Walk with a Zombie called uh, The Plantation. Um, and uh, yes, I am directing the movie, and it is uh, it, it's it's one of the scripts I am most proud of that we've ever created. It's it's a really cool movie. It's um and it's it is a loving tribute to the original movie, which is one of my favorites. Yeah. I just went from six to midnight. It's, it's, oh, yeah. On, oh, yeah. it's awesome. It's my second favorite Val Luton film next to the oh. Body Snatcher. Body uh, Snatcher is amazing. Amazing oh, movie. I, I've recently just imported, uh, we had to import it on Blu-ray from the States mm-hmm. because there's no release at all uh, in yeah. the UK for it. So yeah. I, do you have any idea when that will be? Um, I don't only because there's so many producers involved in that project and there's two studios involved. So it is happening. Um, it's one of those things I've been working on for a decade. No kidding. A decade. Um, but I'm, but I'm telling you, uh, it will happen. It's, it's something we all believe in and, uh, it is a badass movie guys. I mean, it is really scary, like super, it, that was the thing that's so fun about that movie is we were told go for broke on on just fright, and so it's one of the scariest things we've ever written. It's it's a really cool flick. Oh, I'm so excited! And if you if you're down two roles or you need two people to step in and maybe give you some of our acting skills, you know where to go. I love it. I love <laughs> it, dude. I love it. By the way, I just wanted to let you know, you guys. Um, I mean, the, the the whole crew adores you guys. Like we actually talk about you guys amongst ourselves. <laughs> but I do have to say. One of the biggest reasons that I am so crazy about you guys is that you gave me, to date, my favorite review I've ever received, ever, for anything I've ever made. When I got nine out of ten skull fucks from you guys <laughs> for Secret Santa, I was like, okay, I can die a happy man. Like, I'm done. I've done, I've done, my, I've done my work here on Earth. So uh, it was it, – that was so spectacular. I'm telling you, we were cheering around around my, 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 my iPhone when we were listening to you guys. So uh, pretty extraordinary. Seriously. Uh, that's excellent. Thank you so much. Cheers. Uh, you. you got it. So, yeah. So we hope you have a brilliant day. Uh, and you too. Uh, yeah, thanks again for coming on. And anytime you want to come on and just – shoot the shit about any other film or any project you have coming up, just let us know. Awesome. I absolutely will let you guys know you'll be the first. Hi, all you Teenage Comet Zombies. This is Kelly Maroney, and you're listening to Scott and Liam versus Evil. That was a fantastic... uh, It was excellent. Great, I could listen to your stories. I've wondered, and as I said, I've, for ages, obviously I I get right into Jason Goes to Hell for doing Duncan's top 10, uh, top 20 of the 90s, thing I can't even remember the summer series and I hate all the Friday the 13th apart from the first one and Jason Goes to Hell was in my year and I was like can't be fucked watching this again put it on and oh my god it was incredible you can hear it in the episode with Duncan that I just go full hell for leather my love for Jason Goes to Hell so the fact that Adam came on to talk to us and told us some stories that I did not know about Jason Goes to Hell is 
absolutely incredible. I, um, I'll be honest as well, I only watched it for the first time um, a couple of months ago. I bought mm-hmm. it on Amazon. I, I'm sh- I don't think I watched it when I was younger, but I, I watched it for the first time um, a couple of months ago and I was like, this is this is good. Like, this is bright. I don't understand why people get happy. Yeah. Um, but it's watching it like as a standalone movie, it's 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 brilliant. And hearing Adam talk about how it, the, the things that he put in his movie to make the whole yeah. franchise make sense does it totally works. Like it, it does make sense. I was I meant to ask when we were doing the interview, but it's it's almost like I wonder what his take on the cabin in the woods is because that gives a logical kind of underground answer to a lot of our movies yeah, that to don't actually make sense. Yeah. And I think it's always a good way because since I seen Cabin in the Woods, I always kind of look at it with that kind of background knowledge in my head just like ah oh, so this is happening because you know the, yeah. the, 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 the facility or whatever they call themselves are, are organising it um, but yeah that, that was I loved that hope you listeners loved it and if you didn't go fuck yourself yeah. I'm not going to put that back in oh, it seems yeah. like, uh, so yes yeah, so and then next week we're going to be back I don't know if we're schmoozing with any more celebrities next week you know, we've, we've took a step up here you know <laughs> And now next week's episode is going to be shit unless we get a celebrity smooth. <laughs> if you're out there and you're a celebrity and you want us to schmooze you, give us a message. Uh, but we'll be back to regularly scheduled programming uh, and it's Scott's pick. So you know it's going to be nowhere near as good as Jason Goes to Hell or Secret Santa. But we might still get a laugh out of it. So what are you up to this week? Uh, I am decorating. The painter comes on Wednesday. Sounds so like back. you're on your period. Yeah. <laughs> It's a tough time, but it needs to happen. Yeah, so hopefully the... What, the painter or your period? Yeah, well, you know, it's... Uh, both. You know, I, both. Uh, by the time this episode comes up, the painter should be finished, so hopefully he does a good job. Hopefully. Yeah, hopefully. <laughs> you should do a wee message for if the painter did a good job, and you should do a wee message for if the painter did a shit job, yeah. and I'm only going to play the shit job message. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so yeah, we'll catch you guys next week for episode 115. Bye. See you later.